Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Frets. And as you heard on Monday, I'm joined this week by uh, Ben Harper and my co-host here, Andy Ellis. Hello. And uh, it was so great to hear Ben tell the story behind his his new record, which I know for guitar nerds has, in the back of our mind, we've been hoping that one day he'll, he'll come around and just make a mm-hmm. solo guitar record. You know, and, and, and Ben has deep, 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 deep roots. And in this episode... We will hear about the epicenter of his nurturing musical background, the Folk Music Center in Claremont, California, a music store he grew up in. And in his words, he explains the significance of having this kind of childhood. Yeah, and the first time I really heard about this was years ago he made, there was a documentary out called Pleasure and Pain. And it follows him to this, uh, to the Folk Music Center, and it interviews his grandfather, and and his mother, and kind of gives, and you get kind of you see it. And I know you were actually, as we talk in the episode, you actually got to go there, Andy, and visit. Yeah, and, and hang uh, out. Ben and, gave me a tour. We even ate at a fantastic Mexican restaurant. It wasn't anything fancy, but it was where he had eaten tacos as a kid for all his life, you know? And so, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, so if, if you're not near Claremont, and it's still open to this day, his mom runs mm-hmm. it, Ellen, mm-hmm. and uh, she gets a nice shout out in this episode as well. And uh, But if you're not near there, you can check out that Pleasure and Pain documentary, and that gives you a bit more of the backstory about his, his grandfather and, and that store. So uh, this is a very interesting episode. He tells some things that I've never really heard him talk about before, and even... Uh, uh, shares uh, shares a special text message from his mom that that was really cool when he when he pulled that out. So uh, dig into this second episode with Ben Harper, and we'll see you later this week. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're here with our guest Ben Harper uh, this week, and today we wanted to talk about a little bit of your backstory and kind of where you came from, and and the history of your family's music store and. And it kind of took the name from one of the songs, or you took one the name of this area, Inland Empire, as one of the songs on your yeah. on your new record, Winner Is For Lovers. So before we go into your backstory, tell me about what was it about that song that made you think of the Inla- Inland Empire and want to name it after it? The piece reminds me of something. It reminds me of, it reminds me of the region for whatever and I can't say that I necessarily wrote it there, but I wrote it with that region in mind. It just reminded me of something I would have, 
I would have heard or played in that music store. It, it, it just, it, to me, it, it puts me there. To play it, when I play it, I'm, I, I feel like I'm back home. You know, uh, in, in the first episode for, of this week's uh, podcast, I alluded to coming to see you for two days, which is unheard of anymore, to, you know, to send a journalist out to do a story. Sorry, everybody, the budgets don't exist. That was back then. <laughs> but to uh, go back to, oh, yeah, oh, no, no, no. Everything's, it's, never mind. It's different. Mm-hmm. But I came, you know, flew into, you know, probably uh, the John Wayne Airport and, and holed up in a hotel and you, sw- you know, took me off to Silver Lake where we spent yep. the first day yep. talking about the new album and your wife's and born and, and I got to play it. And, and then the second day, you s- s- picked me up and we drove in your pickup truck out to Claremont and I got to walk through the doors of the Folk Music Center uh, and see this nurturing environment. I mean, it became clear to me. It was, it was something that I, you don't understand it till you stand in it. You know, mm. it's like, oh yeah, I know Ben came out of this folk music tradition, you know, and his grandfather runs this. Mm. No, you walk in and you see these instruments from all over the world and you see where classes are held in, in, in different types of folk music traditions. And I got to meet Charles, your grandfather, Charles Chase. You know, <laughs> it was like suddenly Ben's history became real. You know, and then you took me back to the workbench where you put in a lot of time as a as a kid, if I understand it right, or as a young a, a young person. Thousands of hours. Thousands of hours. I even have photos of what it the, all the guitar cases that were waiting, <laughs> either sure. had been repaired or about to be repaired. You know, I mean, it's 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 crazy, and it was. It was not exactly a museum because a museum connotes this static, dusty, um, oh, we're going to go look at something and then step back and marvel at it. You know, this, mm-hmm. this was an ongoing dynamic space, mm-hmm. but it had history. And I can't help but think when I listen to your music that that history that I felt walking into the Folk Music Center is embodied in the notes and the songs and how you sing as well as how you play. What is it about history that makes today's music come alive? What is it about history that makes today's music come alive? Not necessarily mine, but just in general. Yes. What I love about history and its, its contribution to present and future music is that it is... It is a stone in the pathway of musical evolution, artistic evolution, and creative progress. It's a rung on the ladder. You know, I I heard I I was able to I was able to you know Taj Mahal has, is heavily influential to me for a hundred reasons, but one of which was I had been seeing Taj Mahal do finger picking instrumentals since I was since I was of memory since I can remember seeing music. He would always stop his shows with instrumentals. So between Taj's finger picking and his braveness to bring instrumental instrumental music to the blues in a way that I had never heard before, 
my love of flamenco and classical music and being able to see firsthand Chris Darrow and David Lindley in that music store with Ry Cooter all the while in the background, there was no way I wasn't going to get a piece of that. And so with Taj, mm. you know, you could set the second hand by Taj's thumb and David's sense of melody and Chris's depth of grit when it comes to the way he played the blues and lap steel. And I hope that this record, you know, maybe a kid will come up and that wouldn't have heard lap steel otherwise and get bit, you know, and hear it and check it. Mm. There is a, a firm sense of tradition that I have been raised with in, in you know, in handing the, 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 the baton off. And I've loved getting to know those guys better in my adult life because, you know, I, I had followed them around like a puppy dog when I was a kid. And now to get to run and, and I'm not put, I'm not vaulting myself to any status undeserved, but, you know, I've, I've had a chance to get to know some of these guys as friends, as an adult, and it's been a great privilege. And I still have so much to learn from them. So as far as, as far as the history, yeah, without the history being, without the history of, of the music and the tradition and the tradition of sharing the music with one another, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, I would have felt a bit adrift for sure. I mean, there are some people that are beamed down from outer space like Prince, you know, but, but even Hendrix was, was touring with little Richard and Curtis Mayfield. You can hear the direct correlate. You take Curtis Mayfield, little Richard and this, the sixties rock and roll boom and Hendrix makes perfect sense. Right. So the other co-host on the show is uh, a guy named Joe Gore. Oh, Joe is just, I mean, what a freaking player. When I told him that you were going to be on the show, he sent in a question that relates to our topic here. Um, he said, wow. what is it about the Claremont Vortex, about how this tiny little college town managed to produce you, Lindley, and Buckethead? Claremont is it, it's a gravi there's a gravitational pull to this place for sure. My grandparents that they would land there and be able to out you know I mean the the McCabe's the McCabe family were influenced by my family's music store to start McCabe's in Santa Monica. I mean they something about that region there's something to it right in between it's like a way station between the desert and the city. It attracts a very specific frequency that has enabled that music store to have the door open for 62 years. And it's still open today? Still open. I was there last night. <laughs> Working on some guitars? Yeah, yeah. It's given me a chance to catch up with a lot of stuff under that roof. And I don't know, Jason, if you know this, but Ben purchased the store to yeah. keep it alive. Yeah. And your mom, if I'm not mistaken, my runs mom, the store. My, my mom, Ellen, runs the store. And we have a great staff, Marguerite, Jerry, Dave, Henry, an incredible full-time staff that are a huge part of its daily celebration of existence. That's yeah. amazing. 62 yeah. years, man. The kind of the, I won't say a bubble, but the, the area you were in, all these influences that were coming in, Lindley and all these other people. And growing up, you know, what you know is what you know. And it's hard to kind of put that in perspective until you you go out into the world and come back. What kind of perspective did you have on that Claremont scene and the people who came through that store after you had gone out in the world and, and toured, toured around the world for a couple of years? How did that change your perspective on how special that scene was? It made it more and more so. Because when you have nothing, the people around you are everything. And the way that that community shared with an open door 
you know, once I got to a, a place creatively, there were people making calls for me. David Lindley were, made calls to help me. Chris Darrow was making calls to help me there. It was, and people wanted one another to take flight mm. and too many to name, but boy, there, the, 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 the power of, of people rooting for you and being in your corner and really being willing to sit through the music you're making when it's not where it should be and to remain motivating and supportive. That was it. That's it was an incubator for sure. So that played a huge role in it. Yeah. You know, when I when I came to visit you for for that cover story, you know, I, I landed near Hollywood and I, I'd go in periodically to Hollywood to vi- to interview other people, you know, Slash and other guitarists in that era. And every time I stepped into Hollywood, I had this sense I could smell it in the air. And I called it naked mm-hmm. ambition. I could just smell it in the yeah. air. And everybody in Hollywood, musicians, actors, of course, the, the movie was the dominant thing, but musicians as well, just naked ambition has an odor. And for me, it is not a pleasant odor. Then, now Silver Lake is away from that, did not have the, you know, the stink of naked ambition, but when you took me to Claremont, <laughs> it suddenly the the skies cleared and <laughs> you know the yeah. air was it was yeah. just different and I didn't sense in the store you know guitar stores that you, you must get this a lot too I mean it can be really annoying if you go into certain guitar stores because the clerks and everybody there are kind of like yeah well we got this club man and we know more yeah. than you do and you know how many times have we been dissed especially when yeah. we were young. Going into a music store. Well, Folk Music Center people, anyone listening to this, and you, if you find yourself out there, go visit and see if I'm. Tell me I'm. Tell yeah. Me. Do you smell naked ambition in there? No. Yeah. And look, <laughs> virtuosity is is marvelous and and a sight and it is a spectacular moment to witness. But in that music store, well, let, let me speak to that first. We were too far away from LA to even. You, you don't, you're so, we were so far removed from the scene that it, it, you don't, it, it doesn't, there's, and, and you look, you'd be silly being ambitious in the Inland Empire and in a folk, in a folk music <laughs> store in the, you, you, you would look, not to say that I wasn't ambitious, but I also had no choice but to exceed my own expectations as a lap steel guitarist. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to join a big band with a saxophone. You know, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't, I was gonna, I wasn't gonna, in the, especially in the beginning, go up and stand up and play the guitar. I was gonna go up on stage, whether it was in front of 50,000 people or 50 people, I was gonna be sitting down a lot of the time, if not the entire show. You know, it was, it was kind of, it was a different, it wasn't as though I had to lower expectations. It's just, I was, I was raised to be a realist. And you ask how many kids had seen a lap steel player up to that point from my generation. You know what I mean? I may as well have been up there with a with a with a with a harmonium and a monkey on my shoulder. You know what I mean? Like it it wasn't a, it wasn't something that was the norm. So defying the expectations and even defying the odds, because you're the odds of getting in the door of a major label in the '90s as a folk musician were you know one in a trillion. But the odds of getting in the door with a lap steel were one. It's just one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not trying to, but it was, yeah. 
So there was to be ambitious would have been really, uh, really counterproductive. But mm. then more to the point, I was raised in an, in an environment where you you yeah where where a not at the time because he wasn't on the scene yet. It was I'm talking late eighties nineties. But Daniel Johnson rest it rest in peace gets as much respect as John McLaughlin. And I know that's it's you know it's it's to get your head around that right. But it's just what it was. Wow. You know, I'm going to be blown away yeah. by John McLaughlin. I mean, he's going to change my life. I'm going to have, I'll have a spiritual awakening. And Daniel Johnson, you'll have to mop me up from the floor because I'll be crying. Both have their place in the choir. And what it did is it expanded the, the choir. It expanded the choir. You may see a sitar virtuoso come in. You may see a tabla virtuoso. You may see someone on the saws. You may see, you know, a, 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 a ukulele. It, you just, and then it was... It was as much about soul as it was as it was substance, and felt like, yeah. And I've always that's that's also a huge part of keeping the place alive. The the two videos that I've seen from the new album, which these are pre-release videos, but they're on YouTube. The new album, yeah. Winter is for Lovers. Um, the, the the stage that it's shot on, I when I when I watch these videos and watch you playing very intimate again, you know, just you with Monteleone, um, live playing, you know, just you start and you play and you end. It's a performance, but the stage, is that the folk music center or is that something, is, oh. where is that? Because of all the instruments, the Sarad and, and a couple of your skateboards. That's the folk music center. That, that's, that's the, that's the, that it's, you know, when it's, when we're not doing open mic nights or concerts, we at last Sunday of every month, we do open mic nights. We do two or three promoted concert, locally promoted concerts a month. And that's, I don't think it was there when you were there. I mean, we've since built it. We're one of the only place, I mean, I think we've got the strongest open mic night hundred miles around North, South, East, West. People come from all over Phoebe Bridges, you know, got her, cut her live chops there back in the day. And uh, the, uh, I'm part of my, the black Pumas got a, got a lift off there as well. It's, it's, it's it's a thing, you know, proud to say. And I don't think we had it quite in full swing when we were in, right. in the in the late nineties, but since then that's been a huge, you know, part of our foundation and framework is is that stage. And it's just little, low, one step up, humble. But you know, we need the space for retail. We can't have a designated <laughs> stage. So, you know, so the in during business hours, some people will just sit up there and break into song during business hours, and that's yeah, usually yeah. okay, you Depending know. Depending on how loud the marshal is, you know. No, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Depending on whether or not it's a banjo. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to wrap up this episode with, with one last question. And we talked uh, on the previous episode about how it was, the end result of this record was a lot based on feedback from your friends and family when they when they saw you perform. Yeah. And that moment where it was just, it, the, the play I had just never heard, it was just, there was just this moment where it, it came to life on its own that reminded me that that's all it needed to be. But yeah. So I remember, I remember about four years ago, you and your mom came to town for a political event and, and played a set of duets. And, and I, and I really enjoyed that album that you guys did together. Thank you. Uh, To me, this newest record is like the most Ben Harper sounding Ben Harper record. (laughs) And I'm curious when you played this record for her, this new, the latest, the version of you solo, when you played that for her, what what kind of feedback did you get from her? Because she's seen you from obviously from day one, and with 
with this, like you're saying, you know, it's taken you till you've been 50 years old to be able to make this record. And mom was there for every step. What what did she say when you sent this record to her? Mom's not easily amused. Let's just just let me just preface it with that. I'm going to read you the text she sent me. We won't go too far down that, but if you don't mind, I'm going to frame it. She just wrote, oh, Ben, that is the most gorgeous video I've ever seen or heard. Took me till I was 50 to get that. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, you. You got it. Yeah. By the way, my mom has a new book coming out. Always a song, oh. and it's about the history of folk music through that music store, and it is a magnificent read. I highly recommend it. Is it out? Can people get it? It will. I think you can pre-order it now. Okay. Like Amazon? Yep. Always a song. Okay. Ellen Harper? Yep. I wrote the foreword, too. I'm quite, fr- quite proud of it. Ellen Harper. All right. We'll make sure to check that out, and we'll be back later this week with more from Ben. Mm-hmm.